Good morning, Renewal. Let's try it again. Good morning, Renewal. It is good to see all of you all here today. Welcome to you. If you're new to our church, thank you for being here with us this morning. I'd love to get to know you. As Pastor Luke said earlier, fill out one of those, uh, those inserts in your bulletin. I'd love to get to know you and take you out to get some tea, coffee, or something of that sort and see you know, how we can plug you into our church and, and get you involved here a little bit and see if this is a home for you. If not, we just want to welcome you to the city of Chicago and hope you get, help you get integrated here into the city. It's, it's hard moving to a big city, but we would love to help you in any kind of way we can. Well, before we get started today, I, I have a few different announcements I want to bring your attention to. Um, last week, we, we opened up our small group signups. Small group signups. Who, who's involved in a group in here? Who's been in a group at Renewal? Y'all better represent. Come on now, I need to see hands. Groups. Okay, so we have groups starting. This is our form of discipleship. Um, so we don't necessarily do Wednesday Bible studies here or as a church, but we do it in homes around the city. So what you get is a, a sermon guide. So whatever I've preached here or Pastor Luke or somebody else has preached, you get a guide throughout the week and you walk through it. So you take the high vision of Sunday morning and you get to walk it out practically with one another, whether that through fellowshipping or just walking through the Word, just figuring out what's going on in each other's lives. See, if we want to really be authentic community, a community that comes together, then we need to be in each other's lives in the homes too. So it doesn't just happen in on Sunday morning, but we want to see that authentic community that's happening here where you look at this and it's multi-ethnic and different cultures, different socioeconomic backgrounds. We want to see that happening in the homes where the walls of Chicago and the dividing walls here break down. It's all by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So get in a group. If you haven't signed up, sign up today. We're starting the social this week. So the meet and group, greet this week. Sign-ups will be open until next Sunday, you can still sign up after that, but you'll have to go through a little longer process, so sign up now over the next couple weeks, and we'd love to get you involved in a group. Well, guys, I want to get into Jonah. Have you guys been enjoying Jonah? No. (laughs) It's been messing with your heart a little too much, huh? It's been messing with me too. You you guys been enjoying Jonah? It's been really good, Jonah, walking through it. But see, we haven't been the only ones studying the book of Jonah. Our kids have actually been studying the book of Jonah, too. So I hear about it when I'm at home. My kids talk about Jonah. They've been, they've been letting me in on the whole book of Jonah, and I love it. Our kids' ministry is awesome here at Renewal, and they've been teaching them, and they wanted to share with you what they've been learning. So would you just watch this video with me? God told um, Jonah to go to Nineveh, go where the bad people are. He didn't listen to God, and he went to a different direction. To run away, far away. So he took the ship that was going the opposite way, and not much later, there was a giant storm. Dun, dun, dun. Like, like turned and wobbled. Everyone got seasick. He decided them, for them to throw him over because um, he made the swarm come and then they threw him off the boat. 
because um, it was the only way to stop it. And then um, the, he almost thought he was gonna drown. And as soon as the, he hit the water, the storm stopped. But then God sent a ginormous wheel. Very big. Like super big. Like crossed in there, then a cup there. As big as this screw. A big fish to save him. And swallowed him up. And then he prayed the ax Lord to help him. He was in the fish's stomach. And after a few days, three days. For three days. Three days. Three days later, three days. Three days. For three days. Long days. He spit him out of the beach. Then he heard a voice and it was calling his name. And God said to go to Nineveh again. And this time he said, yes, God. And told the people that God loved them. You should stop running away from God and come to God. Well, that's pretty much all. <laughs> <laughs> Give it up for the kids. I love renewal kids. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. My daughter, it's a big. You spit them up on the beach. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, open your Bibles up. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4 today. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. Once you have it, once you stand to your feet with me, if you're able. Jonah chapter 4, starting verse 1. The text reads, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out from the city, and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? 
very words of God, amen? Today I want to preach on the topic, it's not all about you. It's not all about you. Just pray with me. Father God, we just thank you for your word. They're sharpening two edges of the sword, God, and, and God, we're just thankful that, that you're here with us. God, I just ask right now, just one simple prayer, that you would hide me behind your cross. Let me decrease so that you may increase in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way and let your word fall afresh on your people. God, we thank you and we pray all these things in your mighty name. And we all said together, amen and amen. You may be seated. One of the shows I remember growing up was Mr. Scrooge. Anybody remember Mr. Scrooge? Yeah, I don't remember Mr. Scrooge. We've all seen Mr. Scrooge. We've heard about him if we haven't seen the movie. We probably saw the Mickey Mouse version with Mr. Scrooge. We, we love some Mr. Scrooge. I mean, we might not love him, but we remember old Mr. Scrooge, right? See, old Scrooge, he owns this money lending business and he works his people to death. He has this guy by the name of Bob Cratchit who works there and he works long hours. He's barely paid any type of wages. He refuses to make donations to the poor because he says they'd be better off dead. This is old Mr. Scrooge, and he hates Christmas time and anything that's associated with it. So when he's broached on the subject, he's commonly known by his slogan, Bah Humbug. Y'all know it, bah humbug. This is old Mr. Scrooge. He walks through the town and he has this smug look on his face and anybody he sees, he, he notices their, their, their problems before he even sees anything wrong with himself. He's always seeing other people's flaws, but not his own. See, until one day, while Mr. Scrooge, he's sleeping. He's sleeping and he has these ghosts that visit him, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. He, he's walking through the dream with these ghosts, and they show him how he's been so rude to people and how he's treated people. He sees how Bob Cratchit has to live. They, can't, they can barely survive because of how mean he's been. And then he goes to his gravesite, which would have been eerie to me. He goes to his gravesite, and nobody's there at his funeral. All of a sudden, Mr. Scrooge, he, he wakes up from the dream, and he, he's jumping out. If you've seen the Mickey Mouse version, it, it's the duck running around with his gown on, and he's giving away money. He's, he's, he's giving away food. He, he gives Bob Cratchit this, this huge raise so he can take care of his family, and it leaves you with the question, what happened to old Mr. Scrooge? He simply found out and figured out that life is not all about him. The world does not revolve around him, but he needs other people in his life, not just himself. See, friends, too many times in life, we become too consumed with our own well-being. We become too wrapped up into, in what we're doing to the point where we either don't care what's going on with other people or we don't notice what's going on with others. Or, or, or times like today, we get so wrapped up because we have everything at the tip of our fingertips, every social media outlet at the, at the tip of our fingertips. So we get overwhelmed with what's going on or we're numb to it because our brains aren't made to function and, and take all of this stuff in. So we're getting numb to it to the point where we don't care. And see, here's the problem with all of that. Because it's the direct opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus doesn't say in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, now that you know me, you're good. 
You don't, you don't have any more problems, no burdens, nothing else, none, none of that. Just don't care for anybody else. Just live your life the way you want to. Now that you know me, you're good. No, that's not what he says. What he says is go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. In essence, he's saying now that you know me, your life is not about you anymore. It's not. See, God's heart and his mission to save the lost, that's what we see here. See, he has a heart to save the lost. But here's the thing I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is that once you believe, that's not the end. It's not the end. Not only does he call you to go out and seek other people and share your life with other people so that they can come to know him too, but as we'll see in the text today with Jonah and we've seen throughout the weeks, God continues to chase after us even after we come to know him because he's continually trying to change our heart back to what he wants it to be. See, he's so good. He keeps chasing after you. Hear me, family. The process of salvation, it's not a one-stop shot. It's not the mini, the, the mini mark down the street. You don't go in and get what you want and you're good. That's not what it is. It's an ongoing process that begins with his work on the cross and his work in your life. And then you place your faith in him. But the process of salvation continues on throughout life. Not just when we trust him by faith initially, but he's continually reforming and shaping and molding that, that heart of yours for the rest of our lives. And friends, as you've seen and we'll see today in the text, Jonah, with Jonah, it's, it's not always an easy process. We don't like it all the time. It's not always easy because there's, there's things that we don't want to do. There's things that we don't feel like doing that God may call us to do, but, but, but it, and it may not line up with the will of God, so, so we don't really want to do it, and, and he's chasing after us to get us to that place. And, and, and here's the thing, we got to answer the question, will we say yes to God? Will you stop and say yes to him? Will you say yes to God every day of your life? Will you say yes to him when you don't like what, what he's doing in your life or how it feels? Will you say yes to him when your plan doesn't line up with his plan? Will you say yes to God? That's, that's the question today, and that's the question we have to answer every day of our lives. Will we say yes? Now, as we get into this text, provide some of the context here in chapter one if you've been walking with us you you remember Jonah he's a prophet he's a prophet that God sent to the people of Nineveh Nineveh is the capital of Assyria they are cruel people. They're known for their cruel tactics when they capture people and what they do to them. And they do things just for fun. So, so Jonah does not want to go to them. Also, the descendants of the Ninevites, or so the Assyrians, are the Samaritans. So, so you see in John chapter 4 where Jesus is with the disciples, the disciples don't want to go there because they still hate these people. So Jonah's like, no, God, I'm not going there. God's like, no, no, I need you to declare my judgment in the midst of their evil. No, I'm not doing that, God. Do you know these people? And my man Jonah, he rebels. 
He rebels and he jumps onto the ship and, and, and you see this huge storm come about because of his rebellion. My man sleeping in the bow of the ship. He's at peace in his rebellion while all these other people are suffering. He's sitting there and, they, and then they figure out that he's the one that has caused the storm because he's rebelling against the Lord and they throw him overboard. The storm ceases. The sailors put their faith in God and now Jonah gets swallowed by this big old fish. Big fish. And he sits in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here he is sitting here. And you see in chapter 2, he's sitting in this fish. And while he's there, he declares that salvation belongs to the Lord. Because he realizes in that moment when he was ready to die, he's throwing himself overboard. Just kill me. I don't want to live anymore. I'm, I'm rebelling from him anyway. I might as well die. So he's sitting in the well and he realizes, man, God is the one who saved me. Salvation belongs to him. I don't deserve it, but salvation belongs to him. And this leads to chapter 3, where the fish vomits him up on the shore. He's up on the shore, and God tells Jonah, go to the Ninevites again. Jonah goes, but as we saw last week, he still doesn't want to go. He only goes one day's journey into a city that took three days to get through. He didn't really want to go. See, God's still working on Jonah. He's still in process. And what it lets us know is that God can still use you when you're in your mess for his glory and to advance his kingdom. Because what you see is Jonah doesn't really want to go, but he goes a little bit kicking and screaming. And what happens is that the people believed. They repented and it spread throughout the country, even in the midst of his constant rebellion. God can still use you when you're messed up and still in process. And this all leads to where we are in the text. Because Jonah's still messed up. He's still messed up. He just come off of saving and sharing this word with the Ninevites. And I love that because the Ninevites are, are people that were evil and cruel. And, and they accepted Jesus. They accepted God. And, and, and the thing that lets us know, as I've been saying throughout our whole series, is that you can never rebel. You can never sin too much. You can never run too far to where God cannot save you. And we see that with the Ninevites. And see, this is where Jonah's coming out of. He's seeing these guys believe and repent, throwing on sackcloth and sitting in ashes. And this is where our text starts out. And it begins with Jonah being displeased. What? He's, he's displeased, which is striking, because God has just saved this man from the storm, had him sit in the belly of the well, let him get his mess together in that dark place, just sitting there, keeping him safe, and then he uses him to save hundreds of thousands of people. So I read this, and I was like, I'm behooved. Like, how is this man upset right now? How does he have the audacity to be upset at anything? What's going on with you, Jonah? Come on, man. Jonah, you got to be kidding me. And, and then when you keep reading this, it really made me upset because it, it made the hair on my arms start to stand up because my man, he's praying. He's praying to God right now and he's angry. Look at how he prays. He's, this is a prayer. He says, that's why I fled to Tarshish because I knew you were a gracious God. You were merciful. You were slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Then he says, take my life. Take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. The Hebrew word here for life is soul. 
It's translated soul. So he's saying, take my soul. I don't want it anymore. I'm ready to go. I want to die. Now, family, don't be fooled. Jonah is not saying take my life because he feels bad. He feels bad about how wrong he was and he rebelled against God. And he didn't listen to him. He didn't know the character of God. No, no, no. That's not why he's angry and upset right now and, and saying take my life. This guy is mad. He's mad because God, here it is, he saved the Ninevites. He saved some people he didn't like. This is crazy. I mean, how do you hate a people group that much? And check this out. When Jonah received the same grace and mercy in chapter 2, when he saved in the belly of the well, he's crying out, the, 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 the salvation belongs to the Lord. He's grateful. He's singing out. But when it's extended to the Ninevites, he gets upset. And see, here it is. Here's the point. I love this because Jonah, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. He's not a regular person like me and you. I mean, he, he knows God. He has a history with God. And he actually states that by saying, I knew you were like this, God. I knew you were merciful and gracious. But, but here's the point. Even prophets mess up. Even prophets still fall. Even prophets get angry with God because he doesn't work the way that they think he should work, which begs the question of us, how many of us have ever been mad at God? How many times we've been mad at God because he didn't do something the way we thought he should do it, or he didn't do it in the timing that we wanted him to do it? How many times have you been upset with God? Be honest this morning. I mean, we, we've all been there. If we're really honest this morning, we've been mad at God before. We've been mad, and maybe you're sitting there right now. God is not showing up the way he needs to in my life. I'm, I'm upset that these things are happening in my life all around me. Why are you doing this, God? But here's the thing. Jonah's not just mad because God didn't do something he wanted him to do. He, he's not just mad because he doesn't like it. He's mad because he saved a group of people. Now, this speaks to, to God wanting to save all types of people, black, white, yellow, Asian, you know, rich, poor, the marginalized. He, he, he wants to save the person that's moralistic. He wants to save the sinful person. You can go on down the line. See, the gospel is for everybody. And you see this with God. This is his heart. He goes to a lot of trouble to get my man Jonah to these people called the Ninevites, a people that he does not like, a different racial group from Jonah, he hates them, but he gets them to go to them, and God saves them. So you see God's heart, but what I want to focus on is my man Jonah's heart. I want to focus on his heart a little bit. See, check this out. The, 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 the brother is upset. He's mad because God saved some people he didn't want to be saved. He's so mad at God and hates the people so much that he says, kill me. Take my life. I want to die. This is some real anger and hatred. But see, I like to think that it's just that, but it's not. See, Jonah, and we, we sit here too, he's basically counted the Ninevites out. He's like, they've done so much wrong, they're so sinful, there's no way they can be saved. They need to be wiped out, started all over again, there's no way they can be saved. There's no way. 
And, and the, the truth is, he, he, he's mad at these people. He's mad that God could do this. And we sit there sometimes too. I mean, we, we see people and like, there's no way. We're honestly, there's no way God can work in his life. We count them out. For, I, I, you're looking at me kind of crazy, so I want you to do this exercise with me. Think of the person you despise in your life. Think of the person you really don't like. Get them right there, right in your mind. I want you to think about that one person. Think about it. You got them? Be honest with me this morning. You got them? You don't like everybody. Come on now. You got that person in your mind? You got them? Now, I want you to be honest. Ask yourself, how many times have you actually prayed for their well-being in the last week? How many times have you asked for God to save them or, or just provide some kind of prosperity for them, period? I, I mean, I, I, and I'm not talking about the prayer that goes, Lord, help me, please. This person about to drive me crazy. I need you to save them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an earnest prayer where you get down on your knees and say, God, you're mighty to save. You're an awesome God, and I know you can do all things. Will you please work in this person's heart? Will you bless them beyond measure so that they will know that you are a God that saves, and they will know that all the things that have come from them is from you? I mean, have you actually prayed for a person like that before? That, that enemy, that person in your life, the person you really don't like. See, the truth is, the reason I'm asking you that is because this is exactly what Jesus does. We had, all of us at one point were enemies of the cross. And Jesus prays that we would come to know him. And, and you keep reading it. You look in John chapter 13. Jesus kneels down just like I did and he washes Judas Iscariot's feet. The man that's going to betray him. His disciple that had walked with him for three years, he knows it, and he washes his feet. He takes this, this place, the place of a servant or slave. They're the only ones that wash people's feet. Jesus, Lord in the flesh, gets down and he washes his enemy's feet. Have you ever just prayed for someone you don't like? Just wish them well. Because here's the truth. At the end of the day, when you're harboring hate or you're harboring bitterness towards someone like Jonah, whether they wronged you or they wronged somebody else, once you hold on to that, you're not hurting them. At the end of the day, it's hurting you. It's hurting us. Wise person once said this before, maybe you've heard it, he said, if you harbor resentment, you're harboring bitterness towards somebody else, it's kind of like you drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Hear me, holding on to bitterness and resentment or anger only hurts you. And Jesus does the direct opposite, lowering himself to a servant or slave and washes his enemy's feet in chapter 13 of John. So bitterness and resentment towards someone is in direct opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, that's all throughout the Bible. It's not with just Jesus. You look at Proverbs verse, chapter 25, verses 21 through 22. Read it with me. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heat burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. See, friends, this is a message of the Scriptures. This is the message that Jesus tells and shows us in, in John chapter 13, is to take care of our enemies and those who hate you, not to wish them dead. 
And, and I know the question is probably maybe lingering in your heads because it, it, that, that, that probably hits you a little bit. There's some people that you don't like that you really haven't cared for. And the question is like, well, what do I do now? I have never really acknowledged, I've never walked with him through this, I've never asked for forgiveness, I've never really done anything good, I've never really shined the light of the gospel in their lives, I'm not really that person that they look to to see Jesus, so what do I do now? And see, this is why I love the book of Jonah, because God, in this moment, realizing this is where Jonah is, he does not get upset with Jonah. He doesn't leave him in this hard place with his heart being all messed up. And here's the point. Here's the point. The book of Jonah, in the book of Jonah, God is not only trying to save the Ninevites, but he's chasing after Jonah's heart too. He's trying to get Jonah to the right place. He wants Jonah to have a heart of God. Not his own heart. He's still working on him. Hear me, family, the message of the Bible, which we see over and over and over again, is that God is not just concerned with saving lost people. He's not, but he's also concerned with continually reshaping and reforming your heart and the hearts of those who've already trusted in him. Thus, what I'm saying is that God doesn't stop chasing after you when you initially put your trust in him. He keeps running after you. He's going to keep working on your heart until the time when you meet him face to face. You know why? Because we'll continually stray from him over and over again until the day we die. That's what we see with Jonah. Family, God is in the business of saving the unsaved, and he's continually saving the saved. Friends, until we die we will be in continual need of a savior. And what we see is that Jonah, with him, he continually strays no matter how much he knows God. It's the same thing for me and you. We never arrive. We're there, God, we're good. No, no, we'll continue to stray. Our heart will continue to go off and God will continue to chase. Jonah's a prophet and he still strays, but God is merciful and gracious. And the message for you and me that know him is that he will continue to chase after us. And the reason being is he's still trying to get us back to the way that he wanted us originally, how he originally created us, our hearts, where we were at perfect shalom and peace with God. What does that mean? I know you're probably thinking, well, what does that look like? How does he really want us? What did he originally create us as and how did that look like? Okay, well, let's walk through the word a little bit. Look back at the text with me. When Jonah prays, God says, do you do well to be angry in verse 4? I love this question. You got to love God chasing after his heart. He doesn't get angry or upset, but he asks, does it do well? For you to be angry, basically saying, is this really helping you out? Jonah, is this really helping you out by being angry? And see, this also it reminds us from last week that God uses messy people to advance his kingdom because you can see right here, Jonah's definitely not in line with God, but he's already been used to save all of these people. God asked Jonah this question, and Jonah does what he does best. He runs. No response. He, he leaves the city. He runs away. And the text says he went out the city and he made a booth for himself and he looked back at Nineveh. I love this. He looked back at Nineveh to see what would happen. It's almost as if this brother was just, he, he wasn't just angry, but he was, he was so frustrated and in disbelief that God could save these people. He's like, I'm just going to sit out here and wait. 
I, I, I know God's going to kill him. I know he's got him. He's going to get him. I mean, even though he's seen these people already believe, sackcloth and ashes, my man is sitting out here still wanting them to die. See, I, I can picture Jonah sitting at the booth like this. They're going to die. They're going to die. It's coming for him. Lip poked out like this, just upset. You can step on his lip because he's pouting so much. Jonah is upset right now. He wants God to kill these people. But again, watch how God chases after Jonah. God appoints, or he causes this plant to grow up out of the ground and to relieve Jonah from his discomfort, to give him some shade. My man is hot. God's like, let me give you some shade. Now, it does not say that Jonah at this moment is asleep when this plant grows out of the ground. So Jonah could have very well seen this plant grow over his head and give him some shade. So we don't know what really happened, but what we do know is it came up overnight. So it means that God worked a miracle on his behalf to save him once again. But when my man Jonah realizes what happens, he doesn't say, thank you, God. He's just glad. It's like, I'm happy that I got some shade. He's, he's glad. It's almost as if it's okay for God to save Jonah, but it's not okay for him to save the Ninevites. See, the grammar around this phrase is identical to that of the beginning in verse 1, where it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. See, the gladness he, he's expressing right here emphasizes the contrast between Jonah's anger at the salvation of the Ninevites and his joy at his own salvation. And my friends, hear me, this is problematic. It's problematic. And before we shake our heads at Jonah, we sit here all too often also saying things like, man, I'm glad, I'm glad God saved me from that. You're looking at somebody else's situation. I'm glad he saved me from that. I'm glad I didn't get that far off. I'm glad he picked me up out of the pit before I got there. You're looking at someone else's salvation or, or somebody else's problem. And what's happening is you're getting so wrapped up in the me, 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 me part of salvation. And we forget why God has actually saved us and left us here on the earth. And hear me, because here's the thing. If God's intention was to save you and you to be with him right away, no sin and just live with him, then when he saved you, you would have disappeared. You would have been called up to heaven right away, clothes just sitting there. Y'all seen in the movies where the clothes are sitting on the ground and the guy just gets called up to heaven or he's, he just disappears and then you can't see him anymore? Left behind, I would say that, but y'all probably don't know that or it's too cheesy for you. But that, that's what happens. That's what, that's what, that, that's what, if it's just about you and God just wanted to save you, you wouldn't be here anymore. But hear me, friends. God's intention was never to just save you. It was never to just save us. And, and, and that be, that, that's not his intention. And this has been since the beginning of time, even when there was no need to save people. When God made Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 28, he gives them dominion. He has to, says, go have dominion and subdue the land, which means create and cultivate. Create and cultivate. Make something better. Give your life away. Then in chapter 2, you see Adam. He's kind of breaking it down a little bit more. Adam's there. He's created before Eve. He's in the garden. He's working the garden. And he says, work it and keep it. This lets us know a couple of things. Work is from the Lord. It is not a result from the fall. You should work and have a job, and you should work hard at it. 
That is God's design. This is what he gives Adam. He gives him a work to do. Somebody needed to hear that. It's okay to work. You need to work very hard. But he also says work and then keep it. Keep it, which means make it better. Guard it. Keep the sanctity of it, which means what we're seeing here, family, is that Adam fails about a chapter later. He doesn't do all the things that God tells him to do. But the point is, God did not just make us so that we could be with him. That's all the way from the beginning, before we even fail. His heart is for us to have a heart like his, where we seek the betterment of all creation. Have dominion and subdue the land. Make it better. That's been since the beginning of time. And he is now not only chasing after us to save us, but he's chasing after us to where when we believe in him, now we're sent out to go out and share the good news of the gospel with other people, hoping that those will come and they will get to know the same glorious father that we know. See, this salvific theology of me, 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 it's all about me, it's all about my personal salvation, that's not even biblical. That's not what God calls us to. Once saved, our lives are to be a fragrant offering used for his glory to point others to him. Friends, this is exactly what we see in the text because right after Jonah gets the shade from the tree, what does God do? He, he causes a worm to come in. This must have been a big old worm because if he's providing shade for Jonah, he came and he, and he ate the, the, this plant up. So now Jonah's in the scorching hot sun and, and he's upset. He's angry again. He's pitying the plant and, and once again, he's not concerned with anyone else's salvation but his own well-being. And I love God's reply, which points again to his heart for Jonah and his heart for others and the heart that he desires for all of us. He says in verse 9, nine asking the same question, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Jonah, I could just picture him in his yelling voice. Yeah, I do well to be angry. I'm so angry that I could die over a plant. It's a plant. Then God says, you pity this plant you didn't create, which was up in the night and down in the night, when I shouldn't pity 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand and all of the cattle that they have. God has a heart for these people and their cattle. And as I was writing this, I was talking with Pastor Luke earlier this week, and we, we just have these little chit-chats where we just start talking through the Word, and, and it, it gets, y'all wouldn't like to be in there with nerds about the Bible, and we just, we're going back and forth, and he, he pointed out to me, he's like, when it says that God had a heart for the city, and he keeps saying the great city of Nineveh, that great city of Nineveh, and then it says all its cattle, it's not necessarily saying that God cares just for the people, and he wants to save the people and the animals, but what God is saying is that Nineveh was an economic engine. It has a lot of people, and the cattle was what drove the economy. So if Nineveh falls, watch this, everything else falls which will affect Jonah and everybody else around it. Here's the point, and this is a word for us, because God has a heart for cities, hence Chicago. A heart for large cities, because large cities drive our nation and our world's economy. If they fall, everything starts to crumble around it. Point being is that God has a heart for our city. So when we say things like, we want to be in the city, we want to seek the welfare of the city, that's not just some catchy slogan we came up. No, that comes from God. 
It comes from hell because if Chicago falls, it starts touching everything around it. But if God could just redeem this city with all three million people in it, what could he do in the whole region? What could he do in the nation? Because here's the truth. We have the nations right here in our city. What could he do? So family, everything we do here on Sunday morning, from being gospel-centered to multi-ethnic and socioeconomically diverse, we don't do this just because we're, we want to be cool. We want to be that church where everybody likes. That's not why we're doing it. But hear me, if we can do this here on Sunday mornings and in our groups throughout the week, if we can see lives change that way and walls starting to fall down in the city that have divided us for years, if we could do that here, I think we can see revival break out throughout the region, throughout the nation, and throughout the world because of what God did here in Chicago. We don't do this because it's a cool thing to do. Renewal, hear me in this text, God is basically saying, Jonah, this isn't about you. This isn't about you. There's a whole city that needs to know me. And family, what we do when we come here, it's not just about us. There's a whole city and nation that needs to know Jesus. He says, my mission, God said, my mission is to save people, bring them back to me. But again, family, you have to notice in the midst of Jonah's mess how merciful, gracious our God is. He, he still wants to save these people, but he's, he's working so hard on Jonah's heart right now. He lets us know that he cares about little old us and the things that we're going through, even though he's still trying to save a world. It's like, I still care about your problems and what you're going through. I'm still with you. Chapter one, you see Jonah run from God, and God causes this storm to come, and Jonah's thrown overboard, and the big fish grabs him, and he sits in the belly of this whale, and then he's spit up, and he's used when he shouldn't be used by God. Now Jonah's mad at God for saving someone else's life he didn't like. God spares him again and again and again. And what we see God doing is chasing after the heart of Jonah. He's trying to mold him in his heart. He's trying to give him a heart after God where he will seek the betterment of other people. And family, that may be us here in this morning today. You, you may have walked in here in this place. Will you let God mold your heart? Will you let God take your heart and reshape it and form it to what he wants it to be, where you have a heart for other people, even the people you don't even like? Friends, this passage ends with no response from Jonah. No response, but God having the last word. Hence, it's left open. It's left open to where we don't know if Jonah responds with repentance to where he follows after God or he keeps on running and upset at God. We, we don't know what happens, but the question we must answer is the same question we had to answer last week is how are you going to respond to God? How are you going to respond to God? How are we going to respond to God? Family, there's some of us in this room that I believe God's doing something in your heart. I believe he's trying to pull you closer to him. He's working on your heart. He's molding and he's trying to shape you and bring you to himself. And there's a reality too on top of that that God is doing something amazing here in our church. 
He's doing something awesome here in the lives of his people, but it cannot be just about us. Will we respond to God's call for him not only to save those that need to be saved in this room, but, but then for him to use us to go out and see other people saved for his glory, to reach those that might not be here? God wants to save people, and he uses messy people like you, me, and Jonah to do it. And this morning, we have to answer the question, will we say yes to God? Will we say yes to God? Family, there's some of us that are here and, and, and need to say yes. We need to say yes to him. And that may mean saying yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. Jesus, I need you in my life. All I want is you, Lord. Or that may mean laying down your life the way you stop running and stop doing your own thing. And say, God, use me however you will. Or it may be you need to have a heart for other people and not just yourself. You've been wrapped up in your own mess and your own problems and, and, and your own well-being so long that you, you haven't realized there's a whole world out there that needs to know about Jesus. They need something else. They need some more fulfillment. They need me to go out and share with them. Get out of your own mess. Stop, stop, stop for Facebook and your own photo and things of that nature. See, God is saying, look, I, made, I, I need you. Maybe you're in that place. Will you say yes to God this morning? This is what I want to do. If you're in any of those places, I don't want you to leave this place the same way you walked in. See, this passage, it elicits the response, and I want us to respond this morning. If you're in any of those places, you may not be used to this depending on what background you came from. I want you to boldly respond this morning. And I want you to come and meet me down here so we can pray. Meet me at the front so we can pray. See, there's no need. Here's the thing. There's no need to be embarrassed about it. See, the thing I love about the Bible is that when we come to Jesus, there's a whole host of angels that are praising and clapping and having a party because we said, Jesus, I need you. If you're in any one of those places won't you come and receive prayer this morning? The Bible tells us that when we come to Jesus, there's a celebration. And guess what? There's a celebration among the church too. If you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time, I want you to be Lord of my life. Won't you join me up front? Be bold and step out. If you're saying I know Jesus, but I've been running my own life, I've been running away. I've been directing my own path. I've been trying to do my own thing. And I'm saying, I, I'm here. I'm laying it down, Jesus. I need you. I, I know you, but, but I've been doing my own thing, worried about my own well-being. Won't you come? Let's pray this morning. I'm there. I'm there myself. I need Jesus. Or maybe you're saying, you know, I, I've been wrapped up in my own stuff too much, and I have not been worried about anybody else and I need to go out, I need to get out of my own zone, I need to share my life with other people, I need to stop being like Jonah, I may know the Lord, but I need to share my life with other people, Lord, build in me the man or the woman that you want me to be, use me for your glory, if that's you this morning saying, I want to give my life away, won't you meet me here, and let's pray. As the song plays and we get ready for communion, th this is going to be open.
myself, Pastor Luke, I'm going to ask Liz to come up here. We want to pray with you. Amen? Let's pray together.